I'm Jamie Adams, and I've been getting to the root of my woodland aggression. I'm Sam Mags, and after last episode's brainstorm chat, I've had a serious clean out of my games, and I'm feeling good about it. And I'm Ian McAllister, and I finally surfaced from the depths of Subnautica. And this is Brainwaves, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. And these are the headlines for the week of the 4th of February 2019. Tabletop gaming did really well on Kickstarter this year. Double is the biggest selling card game of 2018. And the new board game that everyone's talking about are Guys in Salisbury. All this and more on this week's Brainwaves. And we're diving straight in with mentioning Kickstarter. Of course, we can't go an episode without mentioning it. Turns out... There we go. Thank you, Sam. It's the Kickstarter bell. Sam's been at too many gigs this week. He, he, just, talks in, he just talks in guitar riffs. Yeah. It's fine. Listen to this. How you doing, Sam? Fantastic. Getting back to Kickstarter. Tabletop, the ga- tabletop gaming category on Kickstarter was at an all-time high last year of over $200 million. According to data provided to... Uh, the website Polygon by Kickstarter. There has been nearly a 20% increase in the funds raised during successful tabletop projects this year. $27.23 million, 19.8% increase compared to uh, 2017. Whereas the video game category, however, has been doing slightly less well. It declined 1.45 million, an 8% decrease compared to 2017. In 2018 as a total, $165 $165 million was raised for tabletop games. That's compared to $15.8 million to video game Kickstarters. And on average, a successful video game campaign on Kickstarter earned $44,886.36. Whereas a successful tabletop game campaign earned, on average, $70,603.33. Those are some big statistics. I think it's maybe because what we're seeing from like the computer game Kickstarters is we're seeing still sort of lots of indie studios using Kickstarter to back their projects. We're not seeing really people like Blizzard or Activision coming and like yeah. funding their games on Kickstarter. Whereas the board game community, it's very much the big boys are coming to Kickstarter now to fund projects. It's not just small independence. The biggest games in video games come from your big publishers who have that money, whereas the biggest games in board games, for some reason, are coming double. It's now sold over a million units since its release way back in 2011. That's a lot of units. It's basically becoming Asmodee's flagship game in, in a weird way that it isn't even pushed as that it's just this great selling card game we're all big fans um always see it being played at conventions a lot yeah just having it in our bag little tiny tin it's great i've loved i've brought it to several situations where you know if i've had a couple of minutes like a a rehearsal for a show i've just kind of gone to want to play a quick game and we've had people just yelling at each other i can't see anything 
And these are grown-ups. But it is that kind of perfect thing, isn't it? You know, that it's for any ages. You will get frustrated no matter who you are, how old you are. It doesn't matter. This kind of is for everyone. So it's, if people don't know, it's a very, very simple card game. Essentially advanced snap, really. Um, There's five games in the deck. It costs, this is probably why it's the biggest selling game. It costs just over £10, about 12 quid, I think, for a copy of yeah, Double. Yeah, quite, quite often at conventions you'll see people selling like stacks high of, of 10 out of 10 at a time, and they just go. Because the other thing with Double is that it does get quite smushed up. You will probably need another copy at some point. It's worth noting that with Double selling like that, that we sometimes see a lot of like the sort of dismissiveness of like sort of smaller games, casual games, and that kind of thing. And we're going to come back to this later in this episode, mm. but we have to be really mindful that for a lot of companies, these smaller games that just sell over and over again, have that long tail, are real profit earners for them, and we shouldn't be dismissive of that kind of thing at all. Yeah, no, Double's a great game. Please, I say please check it out as if we're going to earn anything from that. Um, go and check but out Double. Ask me Dave if you'd like to get great. in touch, you know, you know where we are. Yeah. Talking about the things happening on the streets of the country, we will no doubt all be aware of the uh, horrible attacks that happened in Salisbury last year. Well, two guys in Russia have decided to somehow try to draw attention away from it by producing a board game about the attacks called Our Guys in Salisbury, the Novichok board game. The Novichok attack board game, uh, you can get... There are 5,000 copies out there in the wild if you want to go and seek one down. In the wild, you can just... In the wild. just littered around Europe. You can hunt them yeah, with yeah, yeah. You have to go and find them. Uh, so yeah, a, a Russian toy maker has released a board game called Our Guys in Salisbury featuring the same cities in Europe visited by the supposed GRU agents accused of carrying out last year's nerve agent attack in Salisbury. Um, it looks extremely simplistic. It's just a roll and yeah. move, really, isn't it? Uh, it looks like a roll and move game. Uh, they've apparently printed about 5,000 copies of it. Um, also... Also, if you're um, interested, I hope you can speak Russian. I, when, it first, when it first came out, people actually thought it was a, a Photoshop, basically, like uh, it was fake. But apparently this is a real thing that exists. Uh, and uh, uh, Mikhail Bobar, who uh, came up with the idea for the game, uh, said, in some way this was an idea of our answer to Western media, enough already. To us, it's not funny anymore. It's sad. This needs to stop. Not quite sure how you draw attention away from a supposed Russian agent attack by making a board game for it and then advertising it. But there you go. If you've been listening to Brainwaves for uh, a long time, um, first of all, hello there. Thank you for listening. Uh, but way back in one of our very first episodes, I believe it was actually the first episode we put out, we had a little sketch and uh, about the game Fog of Love. Thank you, thank you, thank you, please. No, thank you, welcome to the show, thank you. Thank, please, please, thank you, thank you. Good morning, and as ever, a big, big welcome to the Kerami Jail Show. Oh yeah, I forgot we'd done that. Yes, we. Thank you, Ian. Uh, we. It's a game that I, we, uh, me and Sam love a great deal. Um, it was probably my game of last year. Put that out there. And now there's been a great new announcement that there's going to be a sequel game, Fog of Love: Midlife Crisis, and the tagline: One couple, one crisis, four players. All we've got right now is a bit of placeholder artwork. Thanks to the sleuths at Shut Up and Sit Down, there is a bit more, we've found a bit more information about what the game may be. <laughs> Similar to the first game in Fog of Love, um, two players will represent each side of a couple. However, two additional players will each represent the unexplored aspect 
of each of these people. So you'll be playing as yourself, but next to you will be the unexplored part of yourself. And how's that going to happen in mid in middle ages, middle age and midlife crisis? No word yet on when it's going to be released. However, the prototype will be playable at Fastava 2019, which I believe is the Danish board gaming convention uh, and for developers and is uh, very cool. Um, and that's in April this that year. That is in April. Thank you, Sam. Uh, also, there is hints of a third game in the series about the relationships of people at the very end of their lives. That wow. sounds lovely. I think this is really interesting. Coming back to like last year we were talking about the um, the Billy Kerr game yes. and things like that where it's a lot more kind of serious themes through interactive. You know, a few years back video gaming had that Dragon Cancer which was a, a storytelling interactive experience more than a game and I think we're getting that now in in, in, in physical games, you know, and I think that's a really interesting thing that's happening. And if Fog of Love does turn into a trilogy of games, that's really interesting, and I think that could be really cool. Mm. And I'd like to see more of that kind of thing come from the industry as well, more... Um, Tackling more interesting, sort of more uh, mature yeah. themes. And, yeah, and going in a different direction with gaming, more than just gaming for, for fun's sake. You know, actually exploring themes and talking about things that yeah. in, in new, interesting ways. Talking about new, interesting things, Roland Wrights. I don't know if that's uh, anything you guys have ever heard of. He's a great designer. He is. He's, been um, very he's done another one, apparently. Has he? Um, yeah, he's now working for Days of Wonder. Yeah. No, obviously, obviously we jest, because that could genuinely confuse people. Who knows? <laughs> um, this is a board gaming genre. Roll and write. Essentially Yahtzee, really. Roll some dice, or draw some cards, look at the results, jot something down on a piece of paper, tick something off a score sheet. It's very popular recently with games like Railroad Inc., Welcome To, kind of taking the industry by storm, for whatever reason. Listen to our Idle Thoughts sister podcast if you want to know our thoughts on those kind of things. But Days of Wonder, one of my favourite companies, are jumping on that bandwagon with Corinth, a roll and write set in ancient Greece, 4th century BC. It sees people rolling dice and jotting down on their pads to require, to require resources and deliver goods to and from the market. It looks kind of typical of this kind of thing in a way. I don't know. When you, when you say typical, what do you mean? It doesn't look like it's doing anything much new, to be honest. It looks very nice. It being a Days of Wonder game, artwork's lovely. I'm sure component quality's going to be great. But yeah, I, if it's cheap enough, you know, essentially we are looking at a pack of D6 and a load of paper. So, hey, that could be a low cost. Low barrier to entry. I'll potentially yes. buy it and give it a go. It says 20 to 30 minutes, two to four players... Yeah, I haven't played any of these yet. I I am quite intrigued though. That just today there was a game announced called Era Medieval Age, which is Matt Leacock's new game, and it is being described as a roll and build game. Yeah. And uh, you're you're rolling rolling dice to generate resources, and then uh, building a little sort of city on a board, a little sort of pegboard, and it looks really lovely. I'm quite intrigued by that idea, especially if it's a sort of short plane kind of civ builder. I'd definitely be up for that. One of my annoyances with something like um welcome to was that there wasn't much play interaction um something i've spoken to you guys just separately about um 
and I'll chat more about in idle thoughts. Corinth seems to be some, doing something a little bit different there. So when you roll the dice, um, each player in an order gets to choose one or some of those dice from the pool to then remove so other players can't take those choices. So there is a bit of a gotcha element to it, which is obviously opening up the player interaction and a bit more strategic there. Um, we'll see where it goes, really. I'd, I'd be looking at getting this purely because it's Days of Wonder and, hey, I like their games and like giving them a go. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, just to say, Corinth is coming to us uh, via the, the brain of Sébastien Pochon, who is uh, better known to some people as the designer of a game called Jaipur. It's a two-player game, which I know Sam very much enjoys. And also, he's one of the co-designers on Jamaica, which is a pirate racing game, which is possibly my favourite game. Um, and this is my, this is seen as a bit of a, a, a reworking of one of his previous projects called, I'm going to pronounce it, hopefully pronounce this right, Isparhan. And should be coming in March for those of us in Europe. So, not too long. But And hap- happening right now is the launch of Tabletop Scotland 2019 tickets. That is happening through in Perth. We will be there. I will be there running the playtest zone. I'm pretty sure Sam and Jamie will be there just playing games and making Hopefully. nuisances of themselves. I'm going to be doing the best I can this time. Yeah, you should be coming along. It's going to be doubling in size pretty much in terms of like the sort of... Uh, play space and trader space they've got a lot of traders on board already and it's it was really really good fun last year really well run con and we're really looking forward to going back and hope to see some of you there uh check out their site uh, links in the show notes well guys you know that i've been having a great time under the waves of subnautica over the christmas period i've just uh, finished that game off and it's absolutely fantastic i'll be talking about that more in the idle thoughts podcast that is coming out very very soon uh but I will thankfully be going back under the sea in a board game way because there's a new Captain Sonar expansion coming out, which might mean that my Captain Sonar does not go the way of um, sales and getting cleared out. I was going to sell it, but with a new campaign coming, I might actually retain it. So this is going to be a new sort of legacy style campaign by the sounds of it. In search of rare minerals, the crews are going to dive to never before seen depths where the laws of physics reach their limits. In Operation Dragon campaign mode, teams can play seven consecutive missions on ever new nautical charts using expert characters with abilities exclusive to them to make it through this adventure. Also comes with a custom pack toolbox that contains four new modules for the submarine, new options to vary your gaming experience such as Armada mode, don't know what that means, uh, new second stations and new mechanic stations. All sounds good, just sort of additions to Captain Sonar. You don't know what Captain Sonar is, it's basically battleships on steroids. (laughs) Effectively, it's it's just uh, two crews, each crew in a submarine. There's like a captain, there's a sonar operator, there's a mechanic, and something else I forget. It's one of the podcast's favourite games. Yeah, and you're just, you're sort of shouting instructions across each other, but trying to listen to the other team and trying to pilot a submarine without hitting rocks or ice or various other things great fun and it all happens in real time yes i'd so love to find the time manic. to do this yep like yeah. this sounds so good uh, like what, it, what's worth Captain saying is... generally has been some of my favorite mm-hmm. gaming experiences yeah it, I, might actually I, I, keep mine. I do feel it needs eight players to be mm. full yeah. Captain yeah. Sonar. We tried it with six and it hasn't been the same for listeners that's the big barrier that stopped ian and me from playing it a lot more is that you can play really the game with you can play the game with two to six or seven, um, which are fine. But the the kind it of optimum eight. way to play is eight because the submarine needs a team of four to operate it. It always feels like it's lacking with less than eight people. Um, 
Yeah, and and this kind of thing just sounds like exactly what it needs, really, isn't it? Like, it's good on its own and it's fun to do that, but if you added a story element to that and then, like... Started yeah. having a proper, proper ongoing story rivalry between the two teams. Um, yeah, I, this absolutely. would make for one of the best games ever. I don't think I don't know if I, a legacy effect, but I think it is what will happen is um, during the campaign, the effects of one match will affect what happens in the next match. Not so much tearing up submarines yeah. or character boards or something like that. Uh, but I'm very excited. Um, similar to what these guys. I think I played Ian's copy of Captain Sonar and I immediately went to go and buy mine. Um, yeah, I think I it was one of the first game we all played together, actually. It was. But also, Ian, something that is also new on Board Game Geek, isn't there a, a guild for the giant brain and brainwaves? We've got a new guild on uh, BGG. I'll be linking that in the show notes. I'll be putting it up on my Twitter and Facebook feed as well. Uh, go there, join in with conversations on there. We'll be posting up when the podcast goes out, discussions about the brainstorm topics, all sorts of stuff. We really like, want you guys to get involved. So yeah, please uh, come along, join in the guild, and uh, we'll see you on there. A couple of weeks ago i put up an article about growth in the hobby and this was sort of in response to a lot of concerns i was seeing amongst the critical community about the number of games coming out the quality of games and just sort of uh, what i thought was a bit of hand-wringing amongst the critical community of like maybe games aren't as good as they used to be and what we'd like to talk about on brainstorming day is that there's there's a rise in the gamer population that's for sure we can see it in the convention attendance we can see it in just sort of general sort of board gaming revenue there's the hobbies getting a broader appeal through youtube through twitch things like that that's all broadening the appeal of the hobby and we're seeing like a, we see people like very dismissive of sort of maybe like sort of more casual games like double we were talking about early on in the cast like sort of the sort of games we would describe as gateway games but what we'd like to talk about is how we as a community welcome more people into the hobby and how we avoid any kind of gatekeeping any, any sort of like saying this game's not good enough or that game's not good enough how, how do we go about that as a, a community what do you think guys I am sorry. I was we don't say. think anything, obviously. No, no, sorry. No, sorry <laughs> we Sam, have sorry, no Sam. opinion on this hobby. It's, it's cause, uh, on it's, this po- topic, it's because I usually jump in first, and I wanted to let Sam do it. Oh no, I was waiting for you to go for it. Um, okay, oh, you waiting for me to jump in? Okay. Yeah. Um, obviously, we should, be, we should just we just cut it there and say that's a brainstorm over. <laughs> no opinion on this. Oh well. This uh, we have me. no opinions. Uh, always no. There's always going to be games that you know the individual likes or the individual doesn't like, and that's of course down to personal preference which everyone is absolutely entitled to however i think when it comes to as you said the gatekeeping element of going oh this game i mean this is just a gateway game and the use of the phrase gateway game and by gateway game we mean you know a game that may may not be as complex as some others and is let's say a very good bridge between the more common board games your risks your monopolies your cludos and 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 you know the wider let's say board gaming hobby that has taken off in the past say about 10 years or so my and a good example for me would be something like king of tokyo from yellow or jamaica from gameworks um i'm a big fan of lords of vegas is that kind of game because it's a really interesting dynamic game uh, again again pers- people to sort of the interesting things in the hobby and again it's all about personal preference uh I yeah. Jamie doesn't like Lords of Vegas. I'm not a huge fan of it. But use the use of the phrase gateway game in a pejorative sense is detrimental 
to the individual and I think it's detrimental to the hobby and getting more people involved. And sometimes the game in question as well, you know, that if, if you're saying, you know, it almost degrades a game in a way to make it seem oversimple or childish or whatever, you know, that actually some of the best games are the best games because of how simple we are, they are. You know, we were talking about Double earlier, that that's a game that can be played by five-year-olds or it can be played by 50-year-olds and everyone will have a good time. Like, it's a yeah. fantastic game. It can be extremely strategic and competitive and you'll get angry at people and it'll be fun. Like, um, yeah, Jamie was talking about Lords of... Not Lord, sorry, Jamie was talking about King of Tokyo there. Um, something, again, which is very um, cartoony and kid-friendly, graphically and thematically. Um, but I love that game so much. And yeah, I would play it with newcomers to the hobby, but I'd also play it gladly with people who play Twilight Struggle regularly or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, I um, mean, King of Tokyo hits my table quite regularly because it's such a, such a great little sort of filler game. And some some of the best game days I've had is with you guys as well as my regular group have involved lots of sort of shorter experiences. And I think I think the hobby in general is a little dismissive towards games that may be like seen as shorter and sort of lesser experiences even though they're not they're just they're a more focused experience well hold on a sec hold on. I, I don't know about the community in general i think all generalizations are, are dangerous including this one i think it's a vocal a vocal minority who are going it, you know mm. it's, it's yeah, oh, you know, we must only play you know these ones are the games you must you know worth playing and um again yeah it's all personal preference but it's just going yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I don't like this. Therefore, I think you guys shouldn't like this, and that's just down to people just being people. Um, now, just before the recording started, I had a little rant at, at, at both these guys, and basically going, "Please don't tell me what I should think a gateway gamer is, or what I think an appropriate game is. It's down to me what I believe an appropriate game is for uh, the time of day, the individual slash individuals that I'm playing with." And the circumstance mm-hmm. surrounding all of that. If I think that King of Tokyo is a good ga- game to start and might be interesting to get them into the hobby, and they like monsters, fantastic. If they don't like monsters, oh, I might go to something like Jamaica. If they don't like that, oh, you know, I might have Rhino here or something like that. We've all got ideas of what is a good game to get people interested in the community. And I realize this is turning into another rant about gatekeeping, and I'm going to stop. <laughs> people who are very, very vocal about this kind of thing, people who sort of are, are a little reluctant to see the widening of the hobby, to see a more uh, diverse population in the hobby. I think they are always going to be buying games. You're not going to turn them away. They, they are board gaming or computer gaming or whatever is their thing. And they are going to keep doing it. They are going to keep buying stuff. You're not going to turn them away from the hobby by saying, well, that's fine, you've got your stuff, but how about these people? You're not, you're not, you're not going to alienate them at all. And, they'll and get angry you... and they'll get louder, but yeah, you're not going to alienate them. And when you start going, oh, you know, we should, we should start banning people who... Who, who think about this and think like this and you know only only talk about you know we should only be playing these kind of games we're basically doing what they're doing and is gatekeeping going we don't want you guys yeah. here and we want, we want to welcome we want to welcome everyone like the hobby is about bringing people around the table to play games together and we just need to be careful as like as like more experienced gamers and as people who are like involved in the community and a voice for the community we all need to be careful about about what we say on social media and how we come across. And I, I've, I've seen it a bit recently where people are like really concerned about people maybe not playing a game multiple times, that kind of thing. Like uh, the, the hobby is getting more 
uh, more temporary like game that the people are like buying games and only playing them a couple of times and then maybe selling them on and that, that being a worrying thing but that's just how those people interact with games there's certain certainly games in my collection that I've maybe only played a couple of times and they're getting sold on because i've only ever played them a couple of times that's fine i think the important i think the important thing we would like to stress especially you know if you are listening to this for the first time uh, and you're interested about board games in a in a a, a wider sense is that the community as a whole i i can't speak for these boys but sorry i can't speak for these boys but my experience of the community as a whole is overall very positive people oh yeah have, mine too. people have, people have oh no very, I, I hate pe- people <laughs> i mean that's so, that we, always, we, we keep sam around as the, the i'm the, the, exactly the, the, the kind of person we're talking about yeah he's no, yeah he we keep him around as the counterpoint to many of our arguments um many people are very yeah, sam's just a tech guy really yeah people are very welcoming people are always happy to share ideas and new games and some fantastic experience of playing games with people that we don't know but of course like everything that it, every kind of what's the word i'm looking for every hobby there is going to be people who maybe like it in a certain way and and have issues with with uh, a growing popularity that's fine. Yeah, they're gonna. I'm not gonna stigmatize it. I'm just gonna say, it's it's everyone's hobby. If they want to join in, please don't act like you're the keepers of the flame. And even as you know, Ian said, we're experienced gamers. By that, we just mean we've got some our collection. We've played a lot yeah. in a concentrated time over a short space of time. Sometimes it's good to pull our heads out the sand and have someone go. Has here's a reality check. This is what the community is. Um, in a more objective stance but we were new to this once too yeah absolutely well guys it wouldn't really be a brainwaves outro would it without um everybody's favorite i love the fact as a prerequisite to this piece of news um neither me or jamie (laughs) found this and usually we Um, do (laughs) Ian found this, saying, <laughs> well, I thought you guys would want to do a bit of Monopoly news. <laughs> well, I was right. <laughs> of course, so of course you're right. So here it is. For the what? It's got to be fifth show in a row now? Oh, about the fourth or fifth show. Um, so we have had... dangerous. We have had, you know, your Monopoly uh, Download Rock Festival. We've had Monopoly Scout. We've had Monopoly Pizza. We have had... Um, monopoly cash gun and sam now what do we have a thing that we have all been waiting for we've waited so long for this hasbro have apparently waited 10 years for this we've been waiting longer it's a monopoly movie oh monopoly movie why are you both saying that like you're mario i'm saying it more like howard moon from the as Mighty i said Bush. it i i noticed that and it was in no way intentional <laughs> I, I was saying it more like howard moon from the sorry carry Bush, on but uh but that's just me. Anyway, <coughs> we've got a Monopoly film. Mr. Monopoly, uh, presumably, is being played by Kevin Hart. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, uh, Kevin, well, Kevin Hart is on board, along with the yes, director, that... Tim Story, who directed him in Ride Along and Night School. And in both of those films, he played Mr. Monopoly. <laughs> You've been in all so of it, it only... Are you thinking it's like some kind of like third part in a series or something yes uh, i think you might be wrong we, we don't know what's going to happen however there are stories that in an earlier script that was commissioned uh, for a monopoly film it was about a boy from 
Baltic Avenue, which was a square in the US version of Monopoly. The original US version of Monopoly is set in, I believe, Atlantic City, New Jersey? Um, so all the streets are named after places I, there, whereas in the, right. in, in the UK version, it's places in London. Look, look, guys, none of this Monopoly news is going to matter because the robots are coming for us. Yes, it's true. Robots have conquered the world of chess. They have conquered the world of StarCraft. But now, most importantly, they have conquered the world of Jenga. Yes, that's what? right. A robot can now play Jenga. This is actually a fairly interesting step forward in robotics because one of the things that robots are really, really bad at is sort of minor motor skill. And like this is actually a really good example of a robot that can do very sort of minor pressure-sensitive motor skill by pulling pulling Jenga blocks out because the, the tower is different every time because pressures are different. The robot has to try and understand that. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting. We'll put a link to the Guardian article in the the show notes but yeah uh, the robots are coming for us and they're going to beat us at games god help us all god help us all yeah we'd like to thank our executive producers the lucky sparrow gaming cafe of fantastic folks who have donated to our patreon and we are now only one dollar away from our first uh, our first goal which will make the podcast and website basically self-sustaining so if you are liking what you're listening to then please do sign up to our patreon for one dollar a month you will get an extended version of this cast which includes more of us babbling on about games and for two dollars a month you can also get access to our sister show Idle Thoughts, which is about myself, Jamie, and Sam talking about the games we're playing. I think it's worth noting that the extended cast isn't just necessarily extended. There's entire news articles that we cut from this show because we want to keep it at a good, reasonable length. So there's like a bunch of other stuff in that cast. So check it out. Uh, thanks very much for listening if you like what you've listened to then the best way to help us out is to just share the podcast around on social media drop us a review and rating on itunes if you can as well that really really helps out uh, you can also follow us around on twitter at the giant brain we're on instagram giant brain uk facebook just search the giant brain you'll find us there uh, our website is giantbrain.co.uk and you can email us about anything in the show or anything you'd like us to cover please share your news share your ideas for brainstorms with us at giantbrainuk@gmail.com. at gmail.com Thanks very much for listening.